This morning we're going to continue our study in the book of Acts, chapter 21, down through verse 14. And we find the title for the message there in verse 14, where these men, seeing that Paul would not be persuaded from traveling to Jerusalem, they ceased saying anything against that, being resigned totally to what it says there, the will of the Lord be done. The will of the Lord be done. Now, he has a will. It's a sovereign will. It's an eternal will. And mark it down, his will will be done. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of this earth. And none can stay his hand or none can say unto him, Lord God Almighty, what are you doing? The will of the Lord be done. Isn't that the spirit of true faith? We studied this morning in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith, not by sight. The just shall live by faith. The just who live by faith say the will of the Lord be done. All who believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ bow and willingly submit to the will of God, preferring the Lord's will to their own. His will for us is always perfect, right, and what is best for us. His will is always working together for good to them who love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. He worketh all things in whom we have, in whom we are predestinated unto the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Nothing happens in the life of the believer apart from the will of the Lord being accomplished. That's a big statement. According to his eternal will and purpose. The Apostle Paul will read this in a minute, but let me quote it to you here. He says that we are as believers to rejoice evermore, and we do rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. And he teaches us to pray without ceasing. All men everywhere ought to pray and give thanks. And then he says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Of him and through him and to him are all things. We'll read this again in a minute in the closing part of the message today. Of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory both now and forever. We find the Apostle Paul here bidding farewell to the dear saints from Jerusalem. Excuse me, to the dear saints from Ephesus as he travels to Jerusalem to be at Pentecost. You remember he says in chapter 20, verse 16, for Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend time there in Asia for he hasted if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. So he leaves the brethren there at Miletus, the brethren that came from Ephesus, and he hasted on to be at Jerusalem. As I said earlier, from this chapter to the end of the book of Acts, we're going to see the Apostle Paul is the captive prisoner of somebody. But it's most interesting that the Apostle Paul never called himself 
a prisoner of Rome. He never called himself a prisoner of the Jews, but rather he called himself, and I looked this up five times, he called himself the prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, I want to be in his prison, don't you? I want to be his captive, don't you? Ephesians chapter 3, when he writes to these people that he lived three years with at Ephesus, he said, for this cause, and he writes from Rome, he writes from a prison cell, he said, for this cause, for the cause of the gospel, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, to you Gentiles. When Paul writes from death row, from the death row dungeon, when he writes back to young Timothy, turn there and see what he says. Find 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look what he says there when he's writing from a prison cell. Excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. It's God who saved us. It's one of my favorite verses. It's God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose, his grace, given us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Don't be ashamed of me. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. But don't be ashamed of the gospel of God. Now, in Acts chapter 21, we find the Apostle Paul sailing, and he lands in a city there. It says, verse 3, We left Cyprus on the left hand and sailed into Syria and landed in Tyre. For there the ship was unlaid her burden, and finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit, you should not go. You should not go to Jerusalem. Here we see the pattern that Paul has established. He stayed there with them seven days when he was at Tyre. Turn back to chapter 20. You remember verse 6, when he came to Troas, Acts 20 verse 6, we sailed away from Philippi. After the days of unleavened bread, and we came to them in Troas in five days, and we abode there seven days. So we stayed there seven days, and it says over here when he came to their entire, verse 4, Acts 21, finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. Seven days Paul spent with them Doing what? Fellowshipping, sweet fellowship around the gospel. But we also know that Paul did this, as he did in Troas, so he did in Tyre. He spent those seven days preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember when he was at Troas, he preached from morning through midnight to the next day, 24 hours. He was a preacher of the gospel, and we know that that's exactly what he did when he spent there those seven days, determined not to know anything among you, but Jesus Christ and him crucified, preaching not himself, but the Lord Jesus Christ, setting forth the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he accomplished for us by his sacrifice. You remember in chapter 20, 
verse 24, he said, The ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 25, Acts 20. Now behold, I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Verse 27, I am not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. How he bought us with his own blood. Acts 20, 28. So he spent his time there those seven days preaching, preaching, preaching the gospel. And then when it's time, he moves on. Acts 21. And when we accomplished those days, verse 5, we departed and went our way. And they brought us on our way with their wives and their children. Till we were out of the city. We kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave one another, we took ship and they returned home. He spent seven days together and then they departed. But what a moving, compelling scene. Paul loved them and they loved Paul. And because God had put this love of God in their heart, which is the fruit of the Spirit, we took our leave one another after having prayed together. We took our leave from them and they went home. There was a separation there. They parted company, were separated from each other, and often we do the same here, don't we? In just a little bit, in about 20 minutes, we'll separate one another and go to our separate ways, but yet we're one in Christ. We're a family of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, they separated from one another that the Lord has promised us, and here's the thought, that he will never separate, he'll never be separated from us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I'll never leave you. He said, I'll ne- never forsake you. He said, lo, I am with you always. We separate from one another as they did in that day. But we're never separated from the presence of God. We're never separated from his love. Never separated from his mercy and his grace. He's with us always. Verse 7 and following, Paul continues to travel toward his destination to be at Jerusalem. When we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus, saluted the brethren, and abode there just one day. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, the same man had four daughters which prophesied and we tarried there many days, verse 10, and there came down from Judea the prophet of God named Agabus. Now, in spite of being warned numerous times that afflictions and trouble awaited the apostle Paul, it did not move him and he did not change his mind. All the way back over to Acts chapter 20, verse 22. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the thing that shall befall me, save that the Holy Ghost witness in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide in me. He had a forewarning, didn't he? Didn't deter him. But none of those things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, doing the will of the Lord. 
Now we find the Apostle Paul here in Caesarea now, Caesarea of Syria, just north of Jerusalem, and he's in the house of Philip the Evangelist. There was an apostle named Philip. This was a different man. This was the same man who was a chosen, who was a chosen deacon, one of those seven deacons along with Stephen and those other five men. Both Stephen and Philip were what? Preachers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me show you this. Remember, we saw this in Acts chapter 8. Turn back over there. In Acts chapter 8, when there was a great persecution there in Jerusalem and the disciples were scattered abroad, they went everywhere preaching the gospel. Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. What does an evangelist do? He preaches Christ to them. Notice, if you will, Acts chapter 8, verse 12. And when they believed Philip, preaching the thing concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So he preached the Lord Jesus Christ, who is king and his kingdom, in his kingdom. When that Samaria revival was over, the Spirit of God told Philip to go down to the desert place to meet one man and preach the gospel to one man, the Ethiopian, you remember, that was traveling to Jerusalem and heading back to his country of Ethiopia. And it says here in Acts chapter 8, the eunuch, remember he was reading the scripture, and fed up, he said unto him, verse 34, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet of this, uh, of himself or some other man in Philip, verse 35, Acts 8, opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him the Lord Jesus Christ. So whether Philip preached to a multitude in Samaria or being sent to one man in a desert country, his message didn't change. We preach Christ and we preach Christ and him crucified. This man, Philip, look at verse 9 in Acts chapter 21. This same man was blessed with four daughters. He was blessed, blessed with four daughters, unmarried daughters, and they did prophesy. Now, Philip was blessed with a family, a wife, and children that believed the gospel who were gifted to see future things. Now, this is a fulfillment of scripture that happened in that day. If you find Acts chapter 2, Remember when Peter stood at Pentecost and the Spirit of God was poured out and some said these men are drunk men? Acts chapter 2 verse 16. But Peter said this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel and it came to pass in the last days, saith God, I'll pour out my Spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants, on my handmaids, will I pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, as fulfillment of scripture in that day, it was a needful thing 
for these daughters of Philip to declare future things. And how, what's all involved there, I don't know. But I do know that it happened according to the word of God. I do know that they were believers of the gospel. But here's the point I would make. The Lord certainly has, does use women to promote the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen that now through biblical history. Now, women are not permitted to preach the gospel or pastor church. That is clear from the New Testament instruction. But you can look down through the history of the Bible and you can see how God has used women. We sang about it again a moment ago, Moses' sister. She was a help to Moses. We have seen the lesson about Ruth, who looked to Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. We read about Hannah, who took her child Samuel and gave him to the Lord. We know about Mary, the virgin, who gave birth to the Lord Jesus Christ. We studied about one Anna, there in Luke chapter 2. We studied about Dorcas, how the Lord blessed her, and Lydia, whose hearts God had opened, and many other women. You see, the Lord blesses women to understand and believe the gospel too, and the Lord blesses women to promote the gospel as well. Not that we are preachers, not that women are preachers and pastors, and those who attempt to do so, I know don't have the blessing of the Lord. Now, verse 10 and 11, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea to meet with Paul at Caesarea and reveals to him what the Holy Spirit had shown him. Now, we've seen this man before. Look at verse 10. As we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. Remember how we started in Verse 1 of chapter 21, and it came to pass. It came to pass because God had brought it to pass. Now, we've seen this man before, Agabus. Turn back to Acts chapter 11. We've seen this man before. God gave him a message before. In Acts chapter 11, verse 27, And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great drought throughout all the world which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Now for a man to be a prophet of God and to prophesy what he prophesied had to come to pass or he was known as a false prophet. So just as Agabus said in that day that there would be a drought, it came to pass. And just as he says in this day, look back at Acts 21 verse 11, and when he was come to us, he took Paul's girdle that his outward garment bound his own hands and feet and said thus saith the Holy Ghost so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owns this girdle and shall deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. Now that's a pretty bold statement. Did it happen? Turn over one page Acts 21 verse 33 and the chief captain came near and took him, that is Paul, at Jerusalem, and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done when he was in the temple 
there in Jerusalem. So certainly as the word of the Lord came to Agabus, it came to pass. Now notice, thus saith, verse 11, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Holy Ghost. We can learn from this that God the Holy Spirit knows all things because God had decreed and foreknown, foreordained all things that come to pass. When we talk about the foreknowledge of God, it's not God foreseeing what the creature would do. The foreknowledge is based upon, the foreknowledge of God is based upon his decree. That is, he's decreed all things, therefore he knows all things will come to pass. Him being delivered, you remember Acts chapter 2, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. You have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain the Lord of glory. And they only did what God determined before to be done. God's knowledge of future events comes from not seeing the future, but ordering and decreeing all future things. He said, I've spoken it. Known unto God are all of his works from the beginning. He said, I've spoken it. I'll bring it to pass. I've purposed it. I'll do it. There is nothing in this universe or in any other solar system, Milky Way or wherever. In this universe, this world, this country, this city, this state. Where the word of God and the will of God is not executed exactly according to his will and purpose. Exactly. All things are of God. We'll see that in a minute. Philip and his household and the men traveling with Paul tried to persuade him not to travel to Jerusalem. Verse 12 says, When we heard these things, Luke, Timothy, Titus, those traveling with him, both we and they of the place, Philip and his house, besought him not to go to Jerusalem. Paul answered, What mean you to weep and to break my heart? For I'm ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, The will of the Lord, the will of the Lord be done. Now, it reminds me of what they did here when the Lord revealed to Peter and the apostles that he must go to Jerusalem, that he must suffer, that he must be rejected, that he must be killed, that he must rise again from the dead. And what did Peter say? No way. Don't go. Don't do that. You remember what the Lord said? Get out of my way. You desire the things of Satan. You savorest not the things that be of God. He dies according to the will of God. He dies the Lord Jesus according to the will of God. And so does the Apostle Paul. Paul answered without reservation. He was not only ready to preach the gospel, but ready to die for the gospel. He was willing to suffer for the gospel, but also to lay his life down. And eventually he did. Not in Jerusalem, but in Jerusalem with a springboard to put him to Rome where he stayed there two years preaching the gospel, and then the Lord took him home, as he says 
in his last words in 2 Timothy 4, the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished the race. I'm ready to leave, to be absent from his body, ready to depart and be with the Lord, which is far, far better. And we would not, verse 14, when he would not be persuaded, we ceased. We surrendered, saying, the will of the Lord be done. In spite of all their attempts to talk Paul out of going to Jerusalem, they finally ceased and submitted, bowed to the will of the Lord. That's always the right and good thing to do. Our complaining, murmuring, and our prayers will not change the will of God. Someone said prayer is not involved in changing the will of God. Prayer is about for us to find out what the will of God is and then bow unto it. God gives his people a willing, submissive grace in their heart to lovingly, gladly, willingly submit unto the Lord. His will is always right. His will is always good, and His will always glorifies God. Thy people shall be willing in the day of His power. Now, what time I have left here? About ten minutes. Two things I want to consider about the will of the Lord. First one is this, God's will in salvation. The will of God in salvation. The new birth and regeneration comes from and is directly involved with the sovereign will of God. You can turn with me if you want to, but John chapter 1, John chapter 1, remember when he talks about he came into his own, his own received him not, John 1 verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power, right, privilege to become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we're born again, how? By the sovereign will of God. Has to be that way. Because man's will is always, like his nature, depraved, downward and selfward, never Godward and upward. Our will is in bondage to our sinful nature, loving darkness, hating God. Therefore, salvation must be by the sovereign will of God. If his own will begat he us with the word of truth. Now, how awful it is for somebody to say that salvation is left up to my free will. <laughs> that cannot be. Number one, man's will is not free. It's in bondage to his nature. And your nature is to hate God and love yourself. Not to bow to the sovereign claims of God. We know that salvation is by his grace and his purpose. Not of him that willeth, Romans 9. Not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that shows mercy. Salvation is by the will of God. I can make good on that. Let's turn back to the book of John again. I should have had you stay right there. John chapter 6 this time. John chapter 6, look at verse 37. 
John 6, 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Remember, our Lord prayed, not my will, thy will be done. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that all which he has given me, I should lose nothing but raise it up again at the last day. That's the Father's will. Will it be done? Absolutely. And this is the will of him that sent me, verse 40. Everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. This is the will of God that you would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's according to his sovereign will and his will alone. His will will be done. His will in salvation. The second thing about the will of the Lord be done, not only will his will be done in salvation and in creation. He created all things by the word of his power. But also his sovereign will in providence. His sovereign will in providence. Now these are deep and mysterious things. Turn over here, if you would, to uh, Romans chapter 11. We quote this all the time, but let's read it this morning. The Lord's sovereign will in providence. All things are under his absolute will. Sovereign will. In Romans 11, verse 33, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgment and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. He said, I've spoken it. I purposed it. I will do it. I will bring it to pass. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? This is the purpose of him that purposed upon the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out upon all nations. For the Lord of hosts hath purposed who shall disannul? His hand is stretched out. Now who's going to turn it back? No one. He does according to his will in heaven and in earth. And his will will be done. We say with Abraham, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And whatever he does, it is right. When Joseph's brethren sold him into Egyptian bondage, he said to them, you thought evil against me, and they did. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Our Lord taught us disciples to pray after this manner. Pray ye our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth. As it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. And God help us to forgive our debtors. Our Lord prayed in the great agony in, in the garden. He prayed as he bears our sin in his own body on the tree. He prays, Father, 
If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done. May God give us that resignation in our heart. Romans 12 says this, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The perfect will of God. He's too wise to make a mistake. If you want to turn with me, you can. First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter 5. He's too wise to make a mistake. He's too holy to do wrong. Everything he does, he does exactly as he purposes according to his own purpose and grace. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Rejoice evermore. Rejoice evermore. Now, what do believers rejoice in? We rejoice in Christ. Our hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And all men everywhere ought to pray. We pray, thy will be done. We pray, Lord, give us grace to understand these things. In everything, give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. This is the will of God. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. This is his will for us. When Job had lost everything, his substance, his children, Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground. He was heartbroken. You put yourself in his shoes. All his children dead. His livelihood gone. Broke his heart. He shaved his head. He fell down on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the will of the Lord. May God give us grace in our heart to understand these things.